today I want to talk to you about the mentality of the mob and how disciples of Jesus are set apart from the mob. The mob acts without thinking. The mob reacts to a situation often based on fear, while disciples of Christ are led by the Spirit of God. The mob surges as an amorphous mass driven by a loss of inhibition and steered by immediate self-interest, whereas disciples of Jesus, well, they're often found on their own and they have no self-interest. The mob are the crucifiers. We saw that when they crucified Jesus. Whereas disciples of Jesus have been told that we every day take up our cross to follow Jesus. As Christians, you and I are set apart from the mob. So today's reading begins with Paul in Ephesus. There's been an amazing movement of the Spirit in Ephesus, uh, but we're actually going to talk about that more next week because I've actually taken these readings a little bit out of order. So next week we're going to see more of what happened in Ephesus. Uh, But here's a little taste. To become a Christian, you must be born again, right? Yeah, good, good. Now this being born again, for it to be real, must include repentance. And as I described it last week, repentance is not just a change of mind, it's a change of management. I used to be Lord, whereas now Jesus is Lord of my life. It's a change of allegiance. I once used to be a slave to sin, now I'm a slave to Christ. It's a change of heart. My heart once used to be hardened against God like a rock, but now it's softened. It's it's a heart of flesh or or even a heart of clay to be moulded by God. And repentance also has a very practical aspect to it. Repentance must include a change of behaviour. As we repent, we turn away from our sin. We turn away from our old life. We turn away from our old values. We turn away from our old vices. We turn away from our old hopes and our old dreams and our old ambitions and we nail all of these things to the cross. And with God's help, we make a concerted effort with him to live a life which is changed, a renewed life, a life of holiness, something which the Bible refers to as living by the Spirit. And that's something that we're commanded to do. And wow, the fruit of repentance that we're going to hear about next week when we hear about what happened when Paul preached the gospel in Ephesus. The fear of God fell upon them and many of them who now believed in Jesus came together publicly confessed their sins before everyone and they build themselves a great big bonfire. Their prized possessions, everything that they now realise was an abomination to God, they brought all of these things and threw them all in a big pile and burnt them. And we're told that, that what the value of the stuff that they burnt that day was equivalent to $10 million in our money. Now that's Repentance. And when there is a real movement of the Holy Spirit in a community, when the word of God prevails in that community, it's not just evidenced by the number of cars parked out the front of churches on any given Sunday morning. The business houses will notice it in their trade. The pubs will sell less grog. The news agency will sell less dirty magazines or maybe these days internet downloads will go down. 
Accountancy firms will profit less from intricate tax minimisation schemes. Consumption of luxury goods will decrease. Credit card bills will be a whole lot smaller. The pokies will be a whole lot quieter. Superannuation plans will be far less grand. New age shops will close down, as will ad- adult shops and brothels. But some trade will increase. Those who have nothing to eat will have food bought for them. Those who can't afford to heat their homes will have gas bought for them. Those who are sick will be bought medicine. When the word of the Lord prevails in a town, the trade of that town will not stay the same. And if your personal consumption and spending habits are pretty much the same as your next door neighbour who's not a Christian, well maybe it's time for you and the Lord to have a nice long chat about what repentance means for you and your spending. One Bible commentator recounts how the founder of the Methodist, John Wesley, was dragged through the streets of Wolverhampton by his hair. How when he went among the miners at Cornwall, um, how riots began because when he preached, Cornish smugglers went out of business. In Newcastle, when Wesley got up to preach, a gang came with sticks and stones intending to kill him. And a big burly woman gets up and stands between Wesley and and this crowd who are going to try and kill him and challenges them and eventually they back down. When the word of the Lord prevails, not everyone's going to be happy. And when the word of the Lord prevailed in Ephesus, the business owners were very concerned with good reason that their trade was going to go down. Their profits were at risk because there's big business in sin. Have you ever thought about that? There's big business in sin. The Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras is estimated to generate $30 million for the state of New South Wales. It's worth too much for them to ever want to lose it. Now, imagine if the word of the Lord was to prevail in Sydney and imagine if the people of Sydney were to rise up and say, not in our streets you won't. Imagine how how the people who would normally get a goodly share of money out of that $30 million, imagine how they'd feel about their decrease in business. The motels would be vacant, the pubs would be selling less dough, tourist trade would be way down. There's big business in sin. In verse 24, we, we meet Demetrius. By the way, there was a lot of, that, that was a tough reading. There's a lot, I'm sort of finding as we're getting more and more into Greek stuff, there's names which we just can't pronounce. I picked the one which had the worst of them for you. Um, <laughs> anyway, Demetrius is a silversmith and he made silver shrines for Artemis. And Demetrius was a big wheel in the pagan religious trinket business and I guess it's also a little bit like our souvenir trade as well, but they were making shrines for this pagan god. And a lot of other craftsmen depended on Demetrius for their livelihood and Demetrius calls all of these craftsmen together because he could see the implications of the gospel. Everywhere this Paul fellow goes, he's telling people that these good quality handmade gods that we're making aren't real gods at all. 
and people aren't buying them anymore. And we used to make a lot of money out of this, but now it's all drying up. You mark my words, there's a danger that this trade's going to fall into disrepute. And, and not only that, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and, and she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. <sighs> Big mouthful. He had a lot to say. He was really worried. Ephesus was home to the temple of the goddess Artemis. And that meant it drew a lot of visitors to the city of Ephesus. And of course, they'd all want to take religious trinkets home with them, wouldn't they? Everybody wanted to have a multi-breasted statue of Artemis or a replica shrine, and the craftsmen made big bucks out of it. The economy of Ephesus was very much dependent upon the continued magnificence of Artemis. And so Demetrius and his lackeys stir up a rabble, well, they stir up a mob against these Christians in fear that their local economy is going to take a dive. And I'm just really struck here as I read this, the difference between the mob and the way the Christians behaved. Right, right at the beginning of the reading, we hear Paul planning his itinerary. And we're told that Paul resolved in the spirit where he is going to go and what he is going to do and who he is going to send where. He was going to go to Macedonia and Archaea and to Jerusalem and eventually he was going to get to Rome. But he didn't just make up his mind and take a logical progression about this. All you've got to do is look at the map of where it goes all over the place, you know, and instead of just doing a nice circuit. And we can soon realise that it is exactly as he said. It tells us that he resolved in the spirit that this was where he was going to go and what he was going to do. Now, I don't know exactly how he did that, but I think we can be pretty sure that it included prayer and, and listening to guidance from God. But then there's a the mob. The mob were enraged and they started crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And the city was filled with confusion and they grabbed a couple of Christians and they dragged them into the theatre now, we've got a picture of the theatre there, Robin. That's the theatre that they drug him into. Now, I don't know if they filled that theatre, but apparently that can hold just under 25,000 people. So it could have been a pretty big mob. We don't know how big the mob was. But that could have been pretty scary. That sort of makes you think a little bit like um, Romans in the, uh, Christians in the Colosseum with the lions sort of stuff, doesn't it? But most of them didn't even know why they were there. And that's how a mob works. They, some cried out one thing, some cried out another. The assembly was all in confusion and most of them didn't even know why they were there. Typical mob mentality. Driven by fear. Many people just following along in the hype. Caught up in the moment. A bit afraid about what's going to happen to their society if this new way was allowed to exist. It's interesting, you know, that's how it was actually referred to Christianity. They were called the way. We don't use that terminology for Christianity much anymore. But it's actually a very good description. Christianity isn't just a belief, it's a way. Everything changes. It's a whole new way when you become a Christian. The way of Christ, the way to life, 
the way of peace, the way of the Lord, the way of salvation, the way of truth, the way of righteousness. You just have a bit of a read through your Bible and and look for everywhere it tells you the way of in relation to, to being Christian. And the mob were filled with fear over the way. And here's the next difference. The Christians weren't afraid. In fact, they actually had to restrain Paul from going in. He was going to go into that theatre and stand up and, and, and tell them about Jesus. And those around him had thought better. No, 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 no. You don't want to go in there, Paul. And then when Alexander stood up to give a defence, they recognised that he was a Jew. And for about two hours, they all cried out in one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, just chanting it over and over again, drowning out anything that Alexander tried to say. Finally, the town clerk stands up and he disperses them. Look, if you guys have got problems with these fellows, you'd better take it up with the proper authorities. And we sort of may think, okay, here's finally a guy ready to stand up and just take control of the situation. But even so, he was motivated by fear too. He was afraid over what the Roman authorities were going to do. He said, I'm afraid we're going to get charged with rioting. And of course, that's when the things really would get ugly is if the troops came in to break them up. The mob mentality is not the way for disciples of Jesus. And yet even within Christian circles, the mob mentality can very easily control us. The biggest churches will always be the biggest natural attraction because we all have a tendency to run with the mob. That's where everybody else is. That's where I'm going to go. I remember the time when we, when we first moved to Dolby. There are some really great churches in Dolby, big churches, alive churches. They seem to have it all together. And we could have slipped right into any of these churches, the Presbyterians or the Baptists, because that's where the crowds were. And we could have been one of the crowd. And we could have had church done to us. And in the big group, we would have been largely anonymous and unaccountable. And in, in essence, we could have been consumers and had church all put on tap for us as part of a mob. And that's what a lot of us look for in a church. A place where we can be a consumer as part of a mob. That's where everybody is. I'll come to church. I'll just be one of them. I'll be anonymous. And it won't actually affect me that much. Um, I'll just be one of the mob. But you know what? A church is not a mob. A church is a body. And so we learned early on to not just follow the crowds, but to genuinely follow the Lord, to be obedient to God. And we prayed, Lord, where do you want us to worship? In which congregation do you want us to be part of the body? And of course, we all have different things we look for. Some of the things we're looking for, we wanted to be with the people who love the Lord. We wanted to be with the people who loved each other. Now, that means you can't be in a church where you're anonymous if you're going to be part of a church where you're loving one another. We wanted to be in a place where the pure spiritual word of God is preached. Biblical preaching. Not preaching from philosophy or psychology. Not even preaching that has at its heart some man-made theological system you then have to try and bend everything in the Bible to fit. Just pure biblical preaching, letting the spirit of God speak to us through his word. We looked for a praying church. We looked for a place where we could serve. 
and for a people who we could grow with in the Lord. And, this is very important, we're looking for a church who would send us out in mission. Because disciples are not consumers as part of a mob. Disciples are on mission as part of the body. And disciples work with other disciples to make new disciples. The last thing we should be looking for is to be with the popular crowds or to follow the hype of the mob and just get caught up with it. Because a mob won't hold you accountable and the mob isn't really that concerned about your personal spiritual development or your individual service just as long as you're coming along as part of the mob. Don't ever get caught up in hype. Don't get drug along by a mob. As disciples of Jesus, we're encouraged to exercise something that the Bible calls sober judgment. Now that means we think about stuff, we pray about stuff, we read God's word and just see where that all fits in and and listen to the Lord and, and ask the Lord to give us wisdom in decisions we make. So we can pray, well Lord, this is where the mob's heading. Where do you want me to head? This is what the mob's doing. What do you want me to do? This is what the mob are learning. Lord, what does your word tell me? What what do you want me to learn? Don't just follow along with the latest Christian fad because a lot of Christian fads are, are driven just by very successful marketing. You follow the Lord and be guided by his word, prayer, wisdom and sober judgment. Now, young people... Um, I always think of that I'm, I don't know, I've got a false view of myself. I always think I'm talking to myself when I say, now young people, I'm just going to tell you this, um, but my kids keep assuring me that I'm not young anymore. Um, but just let me live with that illusion, will you? Um, I want to speak to the young people specifically um, about the mob and peer pressure. One of the most powerful cravings any of us can have especially for the youth, is the longing to be liked and alike. So much for individuality. We we all know that to be part of a crowd means that you can't stand out from the crowd and you certainly don't stand apart from the crowd. You just become one of the crowd. You know what? As a disciple of Jesus, there will be times, and actually there will be a lot of times, when you have to stand apart from the culture of the mob. One of the biggest challenges for disciples of Jesus, no matter what their age is, is to be in the world but not of the world. You've heard that phrase before? Yeah? We have to be in the world but not of the world. Now, we have to be in the world, not not just to exist, but to be a light in a dark place. Not just to persevere and, okay, we just have to put up with this world and, and, until Jesus comes and, and then we can finally get out of it. That's not the only reason we're in the world. We're in the world because Jesus loved the world. Jesus died for the world. And we're in the world so that we can be there inviting the world to come to know Jesus. And so disciples of Jesus may be amongst the mob, but we don't follow the mob. 
We are set apart from the mob. And sometimes you'll have to get right out of the mob. And the mob may seem really exciting and at times you may feel that, that Christianity is also very boring. But you know what? In the end, it's all upside down. The journey that the Lord is taking you on, I can assure you, is going to be anything but boring. If there's one thing that you should have realised as we've been working our way through Acts, is that the life of these apostles, as they've been living as God's people, God's Jesus' disciples in this world, their life was anything but boring. short while after, after Paul leaves Ephesus, he goes for a bunch of places and he ends up spending five days, I think it was, at Troas. Now, you reckon I preach long? <laughs> what about Paul? He preaches on and on and on. He goes way past midnight. Everybody's up in the upper room. A young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, third story up. Eyes grow heavy. And he topples backwards out the window. It's the ground he's dead. Now, why is that story in the Bible? Well, obviously because it happened. But for me, it's a reminder of the power of God to raise the dead. Eutychus went home alive that night. I doubt he would have ever slept through another sermon ever again. Um, he'd be just too happy, for, you know, knowing that the way God had worked in his life. You know, the, the way of Jesus, the way of discipleship, it's not boring. It is indeed the way to life. Now, you know this church in Ephesus that we talked about, that, that they'd had this amazing movement of the Spirit and as people were, were repenting, even the economy of the whole town was being changed because of their repentance. Well, I want to read to you a letter that Jesus wrote to that church in Ephesus. Wouldn't it be amazing for Jesus to write a letter to your church? Would anyone like to get that letter? If Jesus was to write a letter specifically to your church, you'd open that mail. What's he going to say to us? Well, that happened for Ephesus. Jesus wrote a letter to this very church in Ephesus. In the revelation that the Apostle John had on the island of Patmos, Jesus said to him, now I'm going to dictate to you seven letters to send to seven churches. And the very first letter that Jesus dictated was the letter to Ephesus. And here it is. To the angel of the third church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. All right, so these seven golden lampstands, that's representing the seven churches that he's talking about. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But, that's a hard word, but, but, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. 
Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, can you see what he's saying here? The church in Ephesus are still being commended for not running with the mob. They're not blindly following false apostles. They hate the work of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans, by the way, was a heretic group of Christians who, who said that it's okay to, to participate a bit in idolatry. That's okay, they were saying. So that would have fitted right into Ephesus and Demetrius would have been very happy with them. But they hated the work of the Nicolaitans, as did Jesus. They're enduring patiently and they're bearing up for the name of Jesus. They hadn't grown weary. Okay, so they're not running with the mob. They're still standing strong and standing firm in, in, in this thing. But they had lost something. What was it? They'd lost the love that they had at first. Jesus said, this I have against you, you've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, when Jesus talks about removing their lampstand, it's a symbolism which means your church is going to cease to exist. Your church will die. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. And if you can continue in that abandonment, your church is going to die. Remember the way you used to love and start loving like that again. Remember the way that you used to repent and repent like that again. If you don't, your church is going to die. Your church will just cease to exist. We don't just not run with the mob because that's a law that we have to keep. The way we live is because of the love we have. Do you get this? Jesus loves us and so we love him. And disciples of Jesus set themselves apart from the mob because we love Jesus and we want to honour him. We want to love him with every part of our being. And Jesus tells us not to be like the world. And so we don't follow the mob. We follow Jesus. We're set apart from the mob because we love each other. And we need to help each other to follow Jesus. And we're set apart from the mob because we love the mob. And we show to the mob that there is another way. And we invite the mob to follow Jesus as we are. Not following the mob mentality, but following the way. A church who are against everything that is wrong will still die if that church doesn't love. 
because they've lost the whole purpose of being church. So don't follow the mob. Live a life of repentance and let our motivation always be a motivation of love.